this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of the in focus podcast i am your host g sampath the union power ministry introduced the electricity amendment bill 2022 in lok sabha on august 8th the power minister said at the stage of introduction that the bill could be moved to the energy standing committee of parliament for broader consultations but the opposition has questioned the introduction of the bill saying that the center has broken the promise made to the farmers that the bill will not be brought to parliament opposition mps have also said that the bill is not only anti farmer but also anti constitutional and against the spirit of federalism there are also concerns that the bill may lead to the end of subsidies for farmers and poor consumers In the first part of this two-part deep dive podcast we take a look at the history of the electricity bill which was first passed by the Vajpayee government in 2003 and power sector reforms going back to the 1990s and then we come back to the present to decode the implications of the key provisions of the electricity amendment bill 2022 and joining us today is Dr Sudha Mahalingam an energy economist and scholar who was also a member of the national security advisory board to advise prime minister manmohan singh on energy issues sudha thank you so much for joining us thank you uh, sudha we know that the electricity bill was first passed in 2003 i think under the vajpayee government and subsequently in 2007 it was amended by the upa government can you give us a brief historical overview of what the 2003 bill did and what was amended in 2007 yeah sure uh, you know the 2003 electricity act was a continuation of the reforms we began in 1992 by uh, liberalizing the generation sector because at that time when india was liberalizing we had a shortage of generation capacity so we put in place a two part tariff policy to invite private investors in generation with very generous incentives So in 2003 we decided to consolidate and take further these reforms uh, it it uh, integrated and revamped all the earlier acts that is the electricity act 1910 electric supply act 1948 and the electricity regulatory commissions act uh, 1998 all these were revamped and integrated into one comprehensive law the electricity act 2003 it was quite a, a radical uh, change in the sense that its main thrust was to depoliticize decision making through the introduction of a new governance paradigm namely the independent regulatory commission till then uh, electricity was produced transmitted and supplied by state electricity boards which were vertically integrated and owned by the state with a few exceptions you had private uh, utilities in uh, calcutta in bombay in ahmedabad surat and places like that with those exceptions which were historical all the rest of the country was being supplied through state electricity boards which were integrated utilities uh so the decision naturally since they were state owned the decisions were made by the state governments and this was perceived as the main cause of the problems besetting our electricity sector so the thrust was to depoliticize decision making okay, can you explain what do you mean by depoliticize uh, how is this decision political and how is the something taken by by a different board non political yeah uh, you know when the decision is political the government can recruit any number of engineers so many of these state electricity boards were overstaffed 
they can decide what, uh, how much power to buy at what price to buy and so on. So the decisions were political, which meant there was also scope for corruption or sto- a scope for inefficiency. Whereas when you depoliticize decision making, you are entrusting it to an independent and autonomous regulator. Regulatory commissions were a new governance paradigm. They didn't fit into the traditional Madisonian system of checks and balances. And it it was not part of the four pillars of democracy, but they were introduced because they were to be manned by experts. So it was governance by experts. And they were made completely independent of the government because once recruited, of course, they are appointed by the government. But then once appointed, they cannot be removed except for very grave in very grave circumstances like mental illness and so on. So they could take the decisions without any fear or favor so that they were independent of the government. They were also given financial autonomy uh, because the their salaries and other expenses were to be charged to the either the consolidated fund at the center or to the state fund and they were not voted upon by the legislature or the parliament. So their finances were also independent which enabled them to act with independence and not take decisions on a political uh, ground. So that is how you try to deal politicized decision making. The other thing you did was to, since they were now, electricity boards were acting like state departments, whereas now you wanted them to function like commercial entities, you produce a commodity, it costs money. And when you sell it, you have to recover that cost. So how to nudge them to be commercial, you can corporatize them, you can unbundle them into constituent elements. So you had generation, you had transmission and you had distribution. So you unbundled it into three entities and corporatized each of them and nudged them to function in commercial on commercial lines. But then not all states, this was not made mandatory. Only, uh, you know, commercialization and regulation was made mandatory, but um, unbundling was not mandatory. Yet many states chose to unbundle their electricity boards because it's much more tractable when it is unbundled. And they also, this uh, Electricity Act 2003 also uh, introduced competition through open access. Section 42 allowed multiple licensees to demand that the distribution lines be opened up for them to supply directly to the consumer. This is called open access. Asana, what exactly uh, do you mean by open access here? I mean, uh, so when you're saying uh, transmission and uh, what happens? So your electricity is produced in the whatever plant and then it is transmitted and then it comes to the consumer. So what is the licensee going to do here? Yeah, see, um, the licensee will have to buy the power from the producer. Now, if it is unbundled, let's assume it is unbundled. There is a generator. And as a distribution licensee or a discom, I buy power from the generator. Then I have to transmit that power through the electricity lines that are there in every uh, city, every town, every, uh, you know, region. So that is the, those lines were to be under open access, meaning anybody can use those lines to transmit electricity. I may be a generator, I might be having a hydro plant, I might be having a thermal plant, or I might even be having a diesel generating plant, and I can supply directly to the consumer by using open access provisions. I can just get into those lines by paying a charge. So this open access was mandated through Electricity Act. So the charge is paid to whom exactly? The owner of the transmission company. 
which will be the government right ah uh, yeah it is usually the government company but since they are making available their lines for you to transmit electricity you have to pay them so that is the open access uh, uh, surcharge but then there are so many other levies because if i fail to supply for whatever reason i don't have diesel i fail to supply the consumer then there must be some standby who will stand by it is a state state owned utility which will stand by and produce uh, gen- and uh, supply the power so you have standby charges you have wheeling charges you have banking charges and you have something called cross subsidy surcharges all these had to be determined by the regulator and then the regulator had to determine open access and allow open access the other thing this electricity act 2003 did was elimination of cross subsidies now cross subsidy is a fact of life in many industries take your soap for instance your bar soap your bar soap is cross subsidized by your machine soap powder it could be hindustan lever it could be any other company so the many industries uh, have cross subsidy provisions you know uh, pricing is not so straightforward but this act very unrealistically uh, envisaged elimination of cross subsidies that is each consumer category should pay what it costs to supply that category how does it work now if i am an industrialist drawing high tension or extra high tension power my costs of transmission are very low whereas if i am an agriculture a farmer in a rural village very far away you have to take long lines you have to have step down transformers line losses are more so it will cost much more to supply the farmer so if you are going to use cost to serve criteria the farmer will end up paying a lot more than the industrialist that is very unrealistic it it's also going to impact your food security but still the electricity act 2003 envisaged elimination of so what earlier the pricing was the industry and commercial consumers would cross subsidize residential consumers and agricultural consumers this cross subsidy was to be eliminated so suddenly from say 50 paisa as a farmer my tariff could go up to 4 5 rupees unaffordable still this act said that there should be elimination of cross subsidy it also introduced for the first time power trading and uh, it uh, envisaged a national tariff policy and a national electricity plan which would be binding on the regulators as they went about doing their job so the basically what happened was by passing this electricity act 2003 there was creeping centralization our constitution envisages that electricity is a concurrent subject both the state and the center have their jurisdictions they are not necessarily overlapping jurisdictions distribution of electricity is essentially a state domain that is where the cash register is and there are other areas where, where the center has jurisdiction but now by enacting electricity act 2003 the government sort of crept into state domain asking them to set up regulatory commissions asking them to function commercially which may be good asking them to unbundle their electricity boards asking them to eliminate cross subsidy so there was encroachment upon the state domain as a result of this was this encroachment not challenged by anybody in court or elsewhere no i don't think it was challenged um, some states chose to not to chose not to unbundle but i think it was also needed in uh, some sense because uh, there was quite a lot of inefficiency and uh, state electricity boards were making losses so probably there was not much opposition to that at that time uh, there was some grumbling but nobody actually challenged it okay and the 2007 amendment 
Seventh Amendment made some realistic course correction. It said uh, it gave up elimination of cross subsidy in favor of reduction, um, you know, progressive reduction in cross subsidy, which was a very realistic change because you cannot really eliminate cross subsidies, uh, not in electricity. Then it said open access will be implemented even before elimination of cross subsidies because earlier it had said you eliminate cross subsidy and enforce open access. That was now toned down a bit. And it also said, Tariff should progressively reflect cost of supply, which, as I pointed out, is, uh, pointed out, is quite problematic. Then it had certain provisions relating to theft and uh, then mandate to supply to rural areas, etc., etc. So these were the amendments in 2007. Right, and after 2007, I mean, I understand there were quite a few uh, iterations of the portion of the bill, which we know today as Electricity yeah. Amendment Bill uh, 2022 draft. So can you explain what were the key amendments being brought in through this current bill, which is which the minister said can go to the standing committee? Yeah, I think these are also very radical amendments. Uh, in fact, the government has been, you know, tentatively presenting various versions of the bill over the years, and all of them are problematic, have met with quite a lot of resistance. The latest one uh, has very, very problematic provisions. One is that you will have multiple licensees in uh, any distribution area and if the regulator fails to grant the license within the stipulated period you can still deem yourself to be a licensee you know that is a very dangerous thing Uh, multiple licensees uh, enforcing open access and choosing to use the existing distribution lines to target any consumer what will happen if I'm a new entrant as a licensee a second licensee a third licensee in an existing area who would I target I would not want to uh, supply to farmers I would not want to supply to small residential consumers and collect 250 500 rupees every month from them I would want to collect the big industries, the extra high tension, high tension. I would want to uh, target the commercial uh, complexes. I would want to um, supply industrial areas. I would want to supply malls and so on where you have big chunky consumers and who are also good paymasters. So I would cherry pick as a new licensee. I would take away all the paying, profitable, cross-subsidizing consumers and the state discom will be left with the unprofitable, uneconomic segment. How will they service that segment? This is a very, very dangerous path to take, which is what this is doing. In order to implement it, Section 14 will be amended to provide open access compulsorily. Okay, if they don't provide open access, the failure to provide will be punishable. And this is also very dangerous. So I can demand that you open your line and I will supply power and I will target industrial consumers and profitable consumers. You as a, you know, Bestcom has a lines in Bangalore. They just have to open the lines and let me pick all their best consumers and leave them with the non-paying ones. And the second thing it says is, PPAs will be shared by licensees. That is power purchase agreement entered into, I'm talking of Bangalore uh, because I live here. Bescom has power purchase agreements, several power purchase agreements with KPCL, with NTPC, with private producers and so on. So if I enter as a licensee, I will also need to buy power to be able to supply. So Bescom will have to share its power purchase agreement with me according to the proportion I need. Supposing I want to take away 10% of Bescom's consumers, I can demand 10% of its power purchase agreement, whatever it has. So, you know, maybe Bescom is spared of having 
to pay for that 10% because it's not using that power, which is good. But what happens to power? You know, Bescom is also paying for idling power plants. Uh, Here, I must explain what I mean by that. The center, as I said, has been steadily encroaching on state territory. The center has made several laws which are binding upon the states, which is like renewable purchase obligation. That is, every state discom will have to have 10% of its power from renewable sources, solar, wind, whatever. So, supposing I am a state with no renewable resources, I still have to buy it from another state with renewable resources and supply 10% of the power. That is one. It may be very expensive. In uh, Karnataka, for instance, uh, solar power is priced between 6 and 10 rupees 75 paisa per kilowatt hour, which is hugely expensive. The second policy which the center made was that all renewable plants are must run. This is a very dangerous policy because it says as long as the sun shines, I can only use solar power. I cannot draw coal-based power. Very good. It is renewable, it is green and I must use it. But then when the sun goes down, what happens? I have to draw on coal power. So I have to keep that coal plant ready and it will be idling throughout the day when the sun shines, producing nothing. And then in the evening when the sun goes down, I'm going to take that power. What happens? I have signed a power purchase agreement to offtake 80% of that thermal power, coal-based power and All of it is, you know, it's a two-part tariff. Whether I take one electron of power or not, I still have to pay what is called fixed charges. So during the day, 10 hours, 12 hours, say morning 7 to evening 6, I'm not uh, taking any power because sun is shining. I'm drawing only renewable power, but I still have to pay fixed cost for idling. These are called stranded assets. So Karnataka is paying something like 5,000 crores for idling power because of this must-run policy. Kudigi and NTPC plant alone, last year, Karnataka paid 1,128 crores for idling. Who's going to pay for this? When I enter as a licensee and try to cherry-pick Bescom's consumers, I'm only going to pay for the power I buy. But Bescom is paying also for the power not dispatched because of must-run policies of the center. This is again encroachment into the state's domain. So these are some of the provisions which are going to weaken the states even further, state discoms even further. Then it uh, this uh, new proposed amendment mandates graded revision of tariff with ceiling and floor for areas with multiple discoms. So it mandates revision of tariff. Now, you know, many of these state-owned discoms don't go for revision of tariff, but this will be done compulsorily. Then before anybody buys power, they have to actually put down payment, some kind of, um, you know, payment security mechanism has been prescribed. There will be a cross-subsidy balancing fund. Then if the state government wishes to, say, uh, subsidize a farmer, it it has to do it through direct benefit transfer. Now, Direct benefit transfer has not been tested, uh, you know, tried and tested and proven successful yet. How this is going to uh, pan out on the ground is very doubtful. So this is also a problematic provision. This uh, new um, proposed amendment also legislates for the integrity of regulators. I mean, you can't legislate for the integrity of anyone. You know, they should be persons of integrity, it is adding. They should always be persons of integrity, there is no doubt. But just legislating, is that's not going to achieve anything. 
like what what do you mean how does it legislate the integrity of yeah the proposal says uh, you know all uh, the regulatory commissions and the chairman and members will have to be chosen for their integrity how do you determine the integrity or how do you identify them it's a very problematic thing and the second thing it says is the crc will send one nominee in the selection committee and the selection committee will be perpetual now what happens is every time the regulatory commission members or chairman retire the state government constitutes a committee selection committee and then they are selected many state governments are a little lax about it so regulatory commissions are without chairman without members and nothing you know no work takes place so in order to thwart that the bill says the standing committee will be constituted by the center and it will be a continuous committee and there will be a member earlier it was equally balanced the center will have a member and state will have a member and it was balanced now it says the crc the central regulator will nominate one member to the selection committee so the selection committee now becomes skewed in favor of the center not so again another centralization move this is so if it is going to be skewed the center can pretty much prevail on who gets to be appointed as chairman or members of the state regulatory commission the center has full authority over crc which is a central regulatory commission but even in the states now the center will be able to decide who gets in uh, which is again not a very good similarly with aptel which is the appellate body for the regulatory commissions and one salutary provision which i found in this bill is that the regulator will be hauled up not only for acts of commission but also for acts of omission i have been a regulator for 5 years and i believe the regulators do not have enough accountability in this country and they you know they make regulations they present it to parliament but after that for their acts of omission if they are not protecting consumer interest if they are not making sure that a power purchase it at is at a reasonable cost the regulator has doesn't pay any price for it so i think by introducing a penalties for not adhering to the provisions of the law uh, I, this bill is making a, a statement that the regulator should also perform which in my view is quite good then there are um, the other provisions here in this bill are specific penalty of 30 paise per kilowatt are for failure to enforce renewable purchase obligations if any state is unable to meet its renewable purchase obligations that is 10% of power from clean sources then it has to pay a monetary penalty for it i mean our state discounts are floundering they are making huge losses how are you piling up these penalties on them they won't be able to pay that they are not able to pay their power purchases you know for their power purchases how are they going to pay these penalties so i think uh, and then another very major problematic proposal in this the, is that the crc central regulator can issue a license to distribute power in more than one state come on this is a state domain distribution of power is entirely within the state's uh, remit now you are asking the crc that it can issue a license for anyone to distribute power in more than one state so that again gives the center a stranglehold over the states there are many ways in which i think state sovereignty is being encroached upon by the proposals in this new bill the parliamentary standing committee will no doubt go into it and uh, see which uh, provisions are uh, contradictory to our constitutional provisions and knock them down i hope right 
Thank you so much for listening. This concludes the first episode of this two-part podcast. Please do join us tomorrow for part two, where we will be looking at what is ailing our power distribution companies and what could be the impact of this bill on power tariffs and why farmers and power sector unions are so opposed to this particular bill. Thank you so much for joining us once again. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.